Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high-yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We will also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited, Andrew, to introduce our, our guest back by popular demand um, from the University of Wisconsin, Dr. Sean Conley. How are you today? Excellent. How y'all doing today? Awesome. Super excited. Yeah. Yeah. Really excited to have you back. Um, appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us again. Um, we have always asked our guests a similar question, but since you're back uh, for your second episode, Andrew has a different question today. Yeah, we went another route with you being our uh, first guest that we're having on the second for the second time, and so we have a new question for you, Sean. So uh, here's here's one for you to think about, and it's one that's intrigued. You know, I, I have certain questions within my career that I feel like I just can't answer, whether it's technology related or uh, you know just just something we haven't been able to answer yet. So, what is one question, whether it's one year from now or in 15 years as, as technology advances? that you would like to answer about soybean physiology, soybean management, or soybean yield components? What's that one thing that you just want to answer that you haven't been able to yet? That is a good question. And I know this isn't probably exactly what you're looking for, but you know, I would like to figure out a way that we can actually make soybean be more predictively responsive. If you look at a lot of like winter wheat and corn, for that example, for the most part, you know, if you put X product on, be it nitrogen rate or fungicide or whatnot, you you expect, you know, a response. Well, with a phenotypic plasticity with soybean and the fact that, you know, you could beat soybean up or it could look great and it could yield the same in both <laughs> fields. Really, yeah. it's... It's so perplexing to me that <clears throat> there's so many things you can do to soybeans and make it look ugly or make it look great and have the same <laughs> yield. And it, it's just that whole yield component aspect of it that's just fascinating to me that, you know, makes me really love my job working in soybeans. And, you know, pretty much anybody can grow 300 bushel corn. I always tell people it takes a real scientist to grow 100 bushel soybeans. So. <laughs> True. <laughs> I need you to come out and spend some time with me on my corn farm, but we'll uh, we'll address that at a different point. Well, I, I do love your answer though, because a, a number of my questions, I, I'd love to get you know as we continue the, the the conversation. You know, a lot of the questions that I have, or a few of them, are why you know why is it so hard with some of that stuff where we we just can't predict or you know whether it's planting dates or fungicide response. So yeah, we'll get into that later. But yeah, I think it's interesting along the lines of your answer to that question is that. Um, I've always wondered when we look at, you know, gross dollars spent on soybeans versus corn, you know, clearly the, the industry and a lot of money chases corn. There's so much money spent on corn and it, it I, I wonder if we'd know more of those things, if, if there was more money spent on the, on the crop, but I agree. We're, uh, part two of our recording is going to be talking <laughs> about, uh, uh, soybean management and yield, but, um, Let's get started on what we're here to talk about. So for our listeners' sake, we're going to uh, break our session today into two parts. Um, Andrew, introduce uh, part number one. 
Yeah, so we're gonna, you know, we we had uh, uh, quite a lot of interest, and I know I was re- I was really interested as you started talking about your big data approach. You know, looking at the the different soybean management practices that that growers are using across the Corn Belt, and then also, you know, how to implement those on those growers' farms and and make you know make them more profitable at the end of the day. And I, I think that's why we're all here. That's that's a, you know where, where passion lies in in the crop production world and in the egg world. So I, I'd love to, you know, I wanted to dig deeper into that whole conversation about what you're doing, how you're doing it and, and how you're applying that to growers field. So, so let's start off with, with you, Sean, um, kind of describing what your research is and, and what you're doing. Sure. So this might, I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson to begin with and get, you know, kind of move us to where we are right now. And I'll kind of do it rather quickly. So roughly about eight years ago, we had this idea to, and reached out to the North Central Soybean Research Program, which is basically the North Central states that uh, goes from North Dakota to Pennsylvania, Ohio to Kansas. And that area roughly consists of 82 to 85% of U.S. soybean production. And so that's a big area. And each one of those individual states takes some checkoff dollars and puts it into a bigger pool to ask and answer bigger questions. So about eight years ago, we started with this benchmarking pro- program where we went out and surveyed over the course of three years, roughly 8,000 farm fields. And we were able to elicit and collect over 600,000 um, acres worth of data. Uh, this is very, you know, it was survey data, average yields on a per field basis. But then we would do is we would drop a pin in that field because the farmers would give us GPS locations or or road intersections. So we would go into Google Maps and draw out the boundaries of each field and get the historic weather data, pull in all the soils data from the Sergo soils weather um, soils database, really kind of develop this huge database. And, you know, I'm not going to get bury us down in the statistics of the weeds, but let's just say we ran some fancy schmancy statistics and we're really trying to kind of parse out how we could predict which management uh, decisions or practices a farmer could do within a given TED. And a TED is a text technology extrapolation domain. Basically, what that means is we pooled similar farm fields together. And these could be farms in across state lines. So it would be Ohio, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, uh, Iowa, Minnesota. They would have similar, you know, soil water holding capacities, similar growing degree units, uh, similar productivity fields. So we pulled in these TEDs. What we're able to do is we find over 100 farmers within. Uh, a given TED, that was a, a high enough power and if you will, to run some statistics that we could actually parse out which management decisions farmers could implement in those TEDs in order to um, basically predict yield. All right. So that was the first iteration. From that, we moved into this boots on the ground project. So from that point, we went and took the data we collected from these surveys and we went and did on-farm research. So we did large replicated fields. Well, we did over 100 across the north central region. And basically what we did is we took those recommendations based on that survey data and we actually implemented them at the farm gate level. So we took what the farmers were normally doing, you know, what their normal practices were. And then we said, okay, well, if you implement this suite of practices that our statistics told us would either increase yield or increase profit uh, profitability or both, let's test. All right. So we did that. And lo and behold, we averaged roughly about a 
five bushel per acre yield increase by farmers implementing this and anywhere, depending on commodity prices and input prices in a given year, 30 to $50 per acre additional uh, profit by implementing these practices. So that really kind of told us that this survey approach was making sense. Now, our next stop process that we're doing right now is called a data-driven process. And what we were doing is we have a similar survey, but now we're collecting a higher resolution of data. So we're getting yield monitor data from farmers and not just average yields. Uh, we're scouting these fields uh, intensively with you know boots in the ground, people in the fields, integrating not just the weather and the Sergo Soil database, but also satellite imagery to kind of ground truth what we're picking up. And we're kind of building this, this uh, platform in the sense that ultimately our end goal is a farmer can go into our platform drop a pin in a field, make whatever, there'll be somewhere between 10 and 20 management decisions a farmer can change in that field. They just toggle through and basically says, okay, I will change my planting date. I'll change my maturity group, seeding rate, whether or not I apply a fungicide seed treatment or a foliar uh, fungicide in season. And then we just hit run. And basically what this algorithm will do is tell farmers or inform farmers these are the management decisions that will increase both yield and profit profitability on your farm so what we're really trying to do is use a community science project that farmers you know pool their data in a non-competitive space we're not sharing their data we're not selling their data in order to build this algorithm that they could just increase the economic environmental and um uh, social sustainability of their own farm, and then be able to hopefully add in some documentation going forward that, you know, the Cargills and the Walmarts of the world are looking for in, in order to document improved sustainability or carbon footprint or whatnot. Those will be add-ons as we go in, but that's kind of the bigger picture of where we're at. So I'm super excited. I I think this is a cool area of research. Uh, I think this is a good niche for us agronomists. Because I know, you know, within your respective companies, everyone's got data scientists and they're trying to chase this holy grail, if you will. But I think hopefully one of the advantages we have is we actually have some boots in the ground. I'm an agronomist. I'll be able to look at something. I go, well, that's stupid. That algorithm is <laughs> not making sense. You know, that's not one to try to tell me. So hopefully we can be able to kind of work you know, layer the science in with the math. So in, I know that was probably a long answer to that, Andrew, but that's kind of where I'm at in this data-driven project and super excited about working in this area. Yeah, no, that, that was that was a really good description. And, you know, to, to kind of build on on what you said and how you started the conversation, how did you go about, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about all the things I'm thinking about when I'm, when I'm talking to, to growers about, you know, planning for soybean production, whether, you know, planning for high yields, all, all that stuff. You know, you, I, th I think you mentioned 10 to 20 different factors you're looking at. What, yep. how, how did you guys narrow, you know, in, in that big data approach, how did you narrow down what you wanted to look at? And, and then also, what are those, you know, I'm thinking of all the things I think about planting date, seed treatments, plant, you know, row spacing. I don't know if I could think of 15 to 20 different. First, sorry, babies. yeah, <laughs> no, I was kind of thinking about that too. Well, and then, and then, well, yeah, so let's start with that. What are the ingredients or what are the, what are the management practices you're referring to? Sure. So we basically collect every management decision that a farmer does when they applied fertilizer, what fertilizer was, what rates, what's their crop rotation sequence and duration. Do they use cover crops? Do they use a seed treatment? What seed treatment do they use? 
whose genetics do they use? Whose traits do they use? Um, you know, what maturity group B? What's their seeding rate? What's the row spacing? Um, what's the pH, you know, of their soil? So obviously, there's some things we as scientists can't change. We can't change the weather. But what we can do is look at, okay, so if we do have this climate variability, I don't use the word climate change because that's a red-blue hot, hot button topic, <laughs> so I don't talk about climate change. But I think most farmers will agree that, you know, the weather is more erratic today and whatever's driving that. Is it just natural phenomenon or is it human? I'm, I'm not going to debate that here today. That's a topic for a different podcast. Um, <laughs> All those those descriptions you just gave, I'm picturing this algorithm, and I know nowadays we have more technology, but I'm just picturing this massive computer that can run all the everything that you just said. Or you have a room of like 10 scientists with glasses on going through <laughs> notes and running statistics, some completely genius statisticians. Well, my mind, my <laughs> mind immediately goes to, though, because we've, Andrew and I have had this conversation, you know, we're on the just north of I-80, so Highway 30 corridor. Um, my family farm is right outside of Iowa State University. And we've talked a lot, you know, our corn, we've moved corn into this 112 to 116, 117-day range, which a decade ago when I started, you know, people would have looked at you like you had two heads if you would have suggested 115-day corn. And Andrew's pushed us hard to consider a, a, a 3.1 maturity bean or potentially even later um, when we look at some of the yield information. And so I find it fascinating if this if this tool were built where we could go in and say, okay, what if what if that's the only change we make or what if we make that change and then some others and actually have some, is it a predictability score or what's the output then? I mean, um, is it yeah, guessing so a yield or just? It's, it's basically, it's not, I'm, I'm, if anyone tells you they can protect soybean yield, they're lying to you. Um, that's just a flat-out fact. I usually walk into a field and a farmer says, what's my yield? And I say, it's 50 bushels, plus or minus 50 bushels. And we're pretty much going to hit most of it, you know, your yield potential out there. Granted, those that are over 100, I'm not going to catch. But, um, yeah, so I think what, what we're doing is, so the, the cool thing that, you know, as we work through these algorithms is, let's say, okay, I'm a, I'm an agronomist, all right? Say I'm going to do my job for 30 years, and then I get to retire. So you only get 30 years, and a farmer, let's say a farmer is on the ground for 40 years. Yep. You only get 40 years as a farmer to do experiments before you move on, either willingly or unwillingly, okay? Yep. You can only do so many experiments on that farm and test these interactions. And that's the cool thing about this crowdsourcing of data and being able to collect all this information is that we can model literally millions of different interactions. Yep. All right. And <clears throat> again, are they all accurate? No, these, you know, these algorithms are only as good as the data going into them. And we're always constantly tweaking them. We're adding new information. We're ground truthing this information. But what this allows us to do then is really figure out and point out to farmers, all right, here are the top four things on your farm based on drainage, precipitation, that will give you the highest probability of increasing your yield. All right, that's kind of what we were able to do with this. And then through these interactions, um, we can then prescribe experiments that farmers can do to test the lower level, like 
one or these two way or three way interactions, you know, playing date by hybrid, for example, on the corn side or playing date by cultivar by seeding rate, looking at white mold or yield or whatever on the soybean side of things. So what it really helps us to do, it's a not just an informative tool for farmers, but it's also a good tool for researchers, researchers to be able to kind of go in and identify where these higher level interactions are and develop experiments to test them and pull that information out to feed the model and help improve it. So that's kind of the interesting thing because I know, Andrew, Sean, how many biologicals are on the market right now? <laughs> One billion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's no way. 100 million. Your company, <laughs> UW-Maniston, can test all of those biologicals, right? right. Farmers, you know, farmers, there's, what is there? There's 15,000 soybean farmers in Wisconsin. I think there's 50,000 soybean farmers in Illinois. They're all testing different stuff. And we have a high enough end, you can sort out what works and what doesn't. More specifically, yeah. you can sort out where these products work work for product placement. Because yeah. you know, we all know with biologicals, they're not like hard chemistries. I mean, hard kind hard chemistries, they are going to have a higher probability of working yeah. just because of the nature of a hard chemistry. Biologicals are driven by the soil profile, weather, environment, there's so many things that can interact with a biological that you just can't predict. But so we want to do is kind of, and I'm using this biologicals here as an example, it could be anything, but you're trying to figure out where and when these specific inputs will give a farmer the highest probability of a response. And yeah. is it, in, in, which which area is it? So I envision like a lattice or a square, there's a high probability of return on investment here, and a low probability return on investment in this type of a you know of an area. So that's kind of what we're working on and but but developing developing that information for all of these different inputs and genetics and traits that farmers are doing. And that's again, that's a cool thing is to be able to look at all this information and and kind of use our, our agronomic knowledge because I've I've talked to some of my my colleagues and they're all worried that you know algorithms are going to take their job and like no it's not going to take <laughs> well i but i i'll tell you i so monday morning right today's tuesday monday morning i drove around and we got well over an inch of rain we have frost in the ground and i drove around and i i think i might have texted andrew when i was driving around that that well you weren't driving then you were pulled over that's correct i pulled over parked and then sent andrew a text <laughs> but um you know we got we got an inch or more of rain the frost is still on the ground and it was one of those days where you, you, you just drive around and you're kind of heartbroken looking in the in the ditches and the creeks and the waterways at the amount of soil moving and i and i had this thought that i wonder how many uh growers want to make practice changes on their farm but they're they know what they're doing is working from a profitability standpoint and they're so unsure of you know, will, will strip till work? Will it hurt my yield? Will I have the manpower? Will I understand the banding of fertility? You know, if I implement a cover crop, am I going to, am I going to yield the same? Am I going to lose yield? How much will it really cost me? And to your point about the 30 or 40 experiments, um, a, a lot of the things that I know weigh on me, like, man, I'd really like to implement this practice. 
those require pretty significant investments in equipment and and their whole their whole farm mindset changes, right? You can't just have somebody come in and 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 just do this practice for you. And so I, I think for me there's there's kind of this um I guess like ray of hope and an algorithm that you could plug into and say, hey, with reasonable probability, here's where you should expect your outcome. I I, I wonder if that wouldn't be the type of tool that would give um, growers the confidence to maybe take a step that otherwise they'd be hesitant to, you know, to take. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, Sean, because I've I've kind of really tried to shift how I have conversations with the farmers and really because I understand you know, it's all about risk mitigation. Obviously, they have, they know going into the season, relatively speaking, what their input costs are going to be. Yep. All right. They know it's going to cost me, let's say, $1,200 next year to put a corn crop in on a per acre basis in an I state. Now, and then they have their average yield and they're tracking that over time. And, the, and even though they've, you know, had record corn crops for through much of the Midwest the past probably three out of five years. It still it still puckers a farmer every spring when they oh, want to, yeah. you know, go in and try something different because that bank is going to come calling for that loan. Uh, <laughs> you know, they don't want to be the one that loses that family farm that's been <clears> in that century farm. So I think you it's the conversation about what's the probability, what's the return on investment, what's the risk to you and your farm and your, you know, your farming family. So I think yep. those are all tough conversations to, to have, but I think using tools like this gives farmers, all right, there's a 78% chance that this is going to work. You know, farmers can get their heads around that. They yep. can say, all right, yep. I, I Absolutely. understand that. Get over yep. that magic 70% that we all look for. <laughs> yeah. So, so Sean, I'm thinking about too, you know, you have all these yield components, you're, you're pulling in, doing kind of a meta-analysis, like this big data approach, and then giving farmers, uh, you know, practices that they can implement and hopefully increase yields. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the numerous times where I've, I've done NCGA and, and, and high yield soybean contest. And, and you have those growers that, that feel like they're doing everything they can from, from narrow rows to variable rate populations, fertilizers on par. Do you, as you break break this data up and, and you start implementing this on growers farms, do you have scenarios where it impacts, is it, is there still, still areas where the, the growers that have the high yields or feel like they're doing everything? Is there enough data points in, in recommendations that those growers are still learning from this, this algorithm and the data, or, or do you find it more consistent yield response with some of the lower yielding environments with growers that maybe haven't adapted some of the newer technology or new management practices that we're using in soybeans. You know, you guys, you, you're not really did giving I, me. Did I stump ball. you finally? That must. Oh no, I I can talk about it. Hey, <laughs> whether or not I have a real answer is different. So, so what I find, and I classify farmers, we have leaders and laggards. Okay. Yep. So you have that ten percent of farmers that are going to try something every single year. They're going to invest in technology. They're going to invest in, you know, a new biological, new genetics, whatever. So that that group is the group that I like to work with uh, because they're willing to take a risk. They're willing to try something. And then we have the laggards groups, which are the ones that we need to drag along. I mean, we literally need to kind of drag them because when we're if we're looking at a whole system and looking at 
we'll just use the word sustainability, whatever the magic word is this today. <laughs> the resiliency, so we'll soil health, about, yeah, sustainability. Soil health. <laughs> whatever the magic word is to get funding for either within the company or within the university. E- we'll e- ESG. That's, <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, those are typically those are the farmers that we need to move forward because those are the ones that are going to, you know, improve the overall baseline of industry. So I think we can use, we can inform the data using the leaders because they're always going to be doing it. They're always playing with stuff. And then we can use this, you know, train the system and then take that information and then push, pull, or drag the laggards along to implement that because they're kind of bringing up, I don't want to see the rear end, if you will, but the the, the, the bottom of of the industry. So I think that's a, a good way to, to to look to look at it. That's kind of way that I look at it. And as you both know, you know, the challenge with getting this data is trust. I mean, farmers yeah. are it's hard to get a farmer to trust you the first time. And if you betray that trust, they'll never trust you again. Oh, yeah. So yeah. You, you get one shot at this deal. And that's one of the things that we really try to impress about farmers is, you know, I'm not in this game to sell you anything. I'm I'm just trying to help the entire industry move forward because we have to understand who's our competition. You may think it's the, the farmer down the road that's you know trying to bid you up on that acre per acre of land land rent. It's a global market. The competition <clears throat> is, you know, outside the United States, if you will, uh, Brazil. It is Argentina if you're looking at you know within the American landscape of things. So. Again, I think we're just trying to move the entire industry forward together and, and try and convince them that this is not not competitive. You know, I, I know you're trying to get a competitive advantage against your neighbor, and I get it. I understand that aspect of agriculture, but you know, as an industry, we mean we need to move this whole thing forward. Otherwise, we're going to start dealing with regulations, and no one wants to get regulated. That's, I mean, if that that would be the biggest four letter word in agriculture, but it's a lot more than four letter words. So. <laughs> so, so I, I have this like, I don't want to say alarm bell going off, but I'm but I'm thinking about this, and and so you're collecting all this data, and that includes, uh, we you mentioned biological products, but but I'm assuming that that includes seed, you know, seed brands and RM groups and seed treatments and and. Uh, foliar applications of fungicide and and all of these things. How do you how do you? I don't know what I want to ask. How do you how do you fight that kind of you know Corteva versus Bayer? Uh, uh, you know this fungicide company versus that fungicide company. How, how do you how do you? Uh, is your approach just the data says what the data says? We're a, we're a public institution and 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 we don't play in that game. Or how do you, how do you manage? I guess that that portion of it. Yeah, that's a good question. And typically, I just don't play in that game. Um, obviously, industry is out there in the competitive space saying my product X is better than your product Y. That's fine. I yeah. don't. We collect the data. You know, we look at it on a whole farm, whole nationwide basis. And, you know, I'm, I'm, we're not getting into, per se, specific product recommendations. Like, I'm not okay. going to, in this algorithm, going to say, you need to use seed treatment XYZ. You know, that's not, I mean, we can get to that granularity, 
Um, we try to lump it more into like frat groups or because in general, I mean, if product, if Corteva and Bear have a product that they've invested millions of dollars in, they've gone through commercialization and it's out there, it's probably going to work. <laughs> I mean, it's likely going to have, um, and I'll let the plant pathologists and those specialization groups. We'll bring in Damon. Their, yeah. <laughs> well, should we tell Damon that you need his help? No. (laughs) Well, I think, but see, I think, I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting. One of the, one of the things that we've really set out to do with this podcast is, is leave the commercialization behind us. Right. I mean, so, so, so tar spot's been a big topic of conversation and, and, and we want to look at, um, we obviously have jobs and we're paid to do our jobs and, and for both Andrew and I, that there's affiliation with brands, but our goal is to look at agronomics. And so I guess I, I like that in the sense that, um, you know, boiling it down to yes, a fungicide can have an impact in your TED or, a or, a a seed treatment, a, a fungicide, um, it, it it just seems like it could get pretty nasty pretty quick if they're starting to be, you know, brand brand X recommendations. It, that that could get really challenging. But I I love what you guys are doing. Another question that I guess I would I would have is, um, so if I were to put my information into this algorithm, is it running? Uh, is it running multiple simulations? I mean, is it is it simulating? tens of times or hundreds of times to, to produce that output. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully here shortly in March, we're uh, we'll be launching our second iteration of our platform where we're going to be, you know, housing all this information. It's like everyone else. It's a cloud-based platform that we know we've have. We can all describe the cloud. We know it's a thing, right? Yeah, it's exactly. It's in the cloud. <laughs> I know. Now, well, we it's, like, it's like the Holy Spirit. Nobody can. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little outside the Trinity, you know. Yeah, but that's yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, what we are able to do is that we can run these simulations based. Typically, what we we've used is historical data. We have a lot of historical weather data for those areas and give kind of a predictive. Uh, response what we expect based on average seasonal rainfall weather and stuff like that now with a lot of these things there's multiple iterations that are always running in the background background to be able to kind of tweak these algorithms i mean a lot of this stuff is kind of for the most part it's kind of static it you know at, at this level of where we are with the algorithm and then we just ask farmers to bring in things like um, tar spotter to do to help make some in-season recommendations or with um, the white mold apps that Damon has done to kind of help. Because obviously things are going to change during the, the growing season. Weather is going to change. You know, can we always predict a drought or a, a wet year? No. Um, so there's but there are some base things that you can kind of go into the growing season to set you up for success. And then within the growing season, you have these add-ons. Yeah. Would we like to get there at some point? Yeah, it'd be great to have all these things integrated in, but that that takes time. And I don't think uh, UW Madison has the commercialization <laughs> dollars as let's say a Cortava or a bear to in, invest a billion dollars in some of these things. But I mean, our hope is to be able to 
lay the groundwork to say, yes, these tools are accurate. You can use them. Here are the papers to show it. And then, you know, with a lot of things, industry can just take it and commercialize it and use it. I mean, that's kind of our job at the at the university is to, you know, try and break stuff and make sure it works yeah. and kind of turn it over and let somebody smarter than me <laughs> figure out a way to, to, to make it work better and make it applicable to farmers. So I think... It, can growers That's, still join this program? Or? Yeah. So so what we're doing right now is we're asking farmers to kind of come in, give us some data. And then when we launch the, I guess we already have the alpha version, so it would be the beta version, they'll get free at first access. Now, obviously, this will be open to any farmer because this is paid for through checkoff dollars. And every farmer generally plays checkoff. So eventually, this will be open access to any farmer. But as we're working through the building of the model... And the ground truthing of it, we want to work with farmers that, first of all, that have helped us build the model so they'll get first access to, you know, and that's just fair. I mean, they took the leap of faith that provide us information. And once we get this thing running and again, who are those people that are providing us data? It's the leaders out there. They're the ones that are looking for, you know, an opportunity to either have a leg up on the competition or, or have interest in this area. So it's, 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 it's a ton of fun. And, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to get, to get data. I would say today it's a lot harder to get data than it was eight years ago, just because of the monetization of data that we've seen over the last decade. And farmers don't want to give it away because I understand if it gets in the wrong hands, all of a sudden, oh, you had X amount of soybean yield next year. Now you only paid $350 in land rent. Yep. Well, shit, you should pay four twenty-five dollars <laughs> based on what I know. So yep. I yep. get it. It's, it's yep. interesting, though, because I think it, exactly what you're saying, I guess, I, I would say kudos to you guys, one, for the work you've put in, and, and two, for trying to build that trust back, because I do know it's something we run into all the time. I mean, our, our best our best relationships, there's a lot of data sharing in. Um, but but that has to be a two-way street, right? I mean, if I'm going to give you data, I'm going to expect there to be a return for, you know, for giving up that information. And I think, um, I think the land-grant university system is in a unique position um, to probably help with some of that trust because I think there's naturally and probably appropriately so some concern when you look at anybody, even if they are a trusted service provider or a trusted product provider, you still know they have, you know, you know, they have a real incentive to utilize that data on, on their behalf. So I, I admire what you guys are doing. Um, as we're kind of wrapping up, I guess I, I think it'd be kind of fun. Have you noticed a couple um, either technologies or, patterns in the data in terms of the most significant changes being uh, a, a, a particular thing that the data is kicking out to you? What, what do you, what do you observe most frequently? That might be the worst question ever asked on this I, podcast. I, get it. Like, I know which, where which I'm one trying to go, but yeah, like, like what practice change ma- yeah. or product change um, is resulting in, in the greatest impact? Well, you know, I try to always bring farmers because everyone loves bells and whistles and technology. And I have a really good farmer friend of mine who calls all this, the magic fairy dust, wiffle dust. When he talks about the wiffle <laughs> dust he's going to put on his, on his soybeans every year. Um, you know, frankly, you know, this is boring as all get out. 
playing date is such a huge driver in soybean that this sets, you know, farmers up for everything else. It's again, it's not sexy, but you know, un unlike corn, you don't need the precision seed placement because you don't need a picket fence out there for soybeans because of phenotypic plasticity. But if you get out there and you know you're in an, an environment where you would need <clears throat> sun death syndrome and you're the first one out there, you're going to have bean leaf beetle um, and you're planting early. I mean, that just kind of sets you up. That, that just kind of gives you the whole framework of what you need to do in order to set you up for maximum yield. And then you have to understand, all right, I'm planting early. My water hemp's going to break about the day after my herbicide runs out. <laughs> yep. I have to figure out. What am I going to do to control my water hat? Because my first pre is breaking because yeah. it's been 40 days since I planted. You know, thus all of that things kind of line up. And that's kind of the cool, the system stuff to go back to the algorithm, back to the algorithm. But also the other things is how this all kind of interplays with all these different disciplines. I mean, you just can't make one decision. Say, again, I'll just go back to early planting day. That that has a cascade effect. Yep. Specifically, if you want to implement cover crops, well, you know, cover crops and early planting don't really fit. You know, they yep. don't really kind of work out. And if you want to do that, you have to change up a few other things. And and again, what's your what's your weed control program? Well, again, if you're planting early, water hemp is going to be a problem after your your initial pre breaks. And what are you going to do? How are you going to combat that? Especially if it's glyphosate resistant and you don't have any other tools to be able to utilize in that area. So I think that's what I'm really trying to get at is there's so many different, once you make a decision to change your operation, I think Sean and Andrew alluded to it earlier. There's such a huge cascading of effect that kind of goes throughout the growing season. That's just, it's, it, it, you just can't make one decision and think, all right, I'm done. I'm going to plan right. earlier. And I, <laughs> yeah. That's, well, that's it. I'm done. It's a great answer though, because, because at the end of the day, you know, it, it, you mentioned bells and whistles or whatever. Um, you know, we got to get the non-sexy stuff right for right. any of that other stuff to matter. And I, and I think, you know, you brought up biologicals and I, I always get a kick. That's a space that I just have a ton of passion for. And I, and you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be the guy that believes in unicorns till the end of my life. Cause I'm convinced one of them's coming, you know, like I'm going to find one someday, but you're exactly right. If, if we don't have the baseline agronomics, right. And this is probably honestly a, a, a perfect transition part, part two of our show. We, we want to pick your brain on soybean, um, and yield management. Uh, uh, but I guess, I guess before we transition to that, is is there anything uh, that you want to add to this discussion around the research you guys are doing and and, and this program, and and then we'll transition? Sure, I'd just like to encourage any farmers that are you know interested in this, either reach out to Sean and Andrew Andrew to kind of see uh, uh, how they can get access to this, or just go to my website. Just go to www.coolbean.info, click on the soybean research dropdown button, and I think the second one from the top is data driven. You can go in there, fill out the survey. It's all online. You upload your yield monitor data. You don't even have to clean it. We'll clean it for you. Um, we'll, That's good. You know, we can bring in all the weather data. We can bring in all the soils data. Roughly, it takes a farmer to let, if most farmers off the top <laughs> of their head know 80% of the survey and they don't have to get out their little black book or, you know, my grandfather used to always have something in his pocket that he pulled out and you know, look at the pages. <laughs> You know, most farmers are a little more technical, logically advanced than that. They work on it, but 
it's so funny. Like I only have farmers these days. They will actually give me the um, their password and to climb it. Say, oh, yeah. just go download the data yourself. Yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I mean, or whatever platform where their, all their data is is housed in, which is just crazy to me. And, and the password, the password's usually password. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one really good story. So one. <laughs> A farmer asked me to do this, and he sent me, you know, his login and his password. And um, the, the, the password is something that was not a very nice word at all. Um, <laughs> and then I kind of asked him about it. He's like, oh, yeah, that's that that field was named after my ex-wife. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> evening, Christmas. There you go. <laughs> well, good story I, I love it. Well, so... Um, I was just thinking, I've listened to a, enough talk radio to know that even though we're an unpaid show, when you go to Cool Beans website and you go to that data, you got to insert the code, a penny for your thoughts, and then we'll get some sort of a kickback from <laughs> Wisconsin, right? Isn't that the way it usually works? I, it's a, I, there's got to be some budget in there, right? I mean, I don't know. Well, well, usually I get an email like once a week where someone wants to monetize my website for me. And I'm like, no, thank you. I think I... That would be more more a heartbreak and trouble than it's worth. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. No, I love it. Well, uh, Sean, as always, um, uh, can't tell you how much we appreciate uh, both the time you're willing to invest with us and our listeners, but but also the work that that you and your partners are doing. Um, really excited. We will uh, for our listeners. We'll include directions uh, to that website and how to sign up in the show notes. Um, but uh, Sean, as always, uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, and Andrew, with that, we'll transition to uh, soybean management and yield component discussion. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We love your feedback. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny, the number four, your thoughts at gmail.com, or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. Thank you for tuning in.